Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show, talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. John Knopp's early fascination with the vast outdoors ignited his journey into landscape photography, a realm where he challenges norms to celebrate nature's unbridled spirit. As an avid hiker and conservationist, his work transcends visual poetry, delivering a potent message to cherish and preserve the environment. Over 15 years, John has garnered international acclaim, including features in National Geographic, Time and prestigious events like the Venice Biennale. Two exclusive galleries, numerous awards and a pioneering role in NFT photography underscore his impact. Despite his success, John remains humble, pushing artistic boundaries and offering limited edition masterpieces that invite viewers to share his journey of discovering nature's light. We discuss John's transition to using the blockchain for distributing his art, his journey into becoming a successful photographer, along with a lot more. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, John. Welcome to the Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Good, good. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks for joining me today. It's wonderful to get to talk to you. I've been following your work on Twitter and a couple other places around the, the the traps. Why don't you start with who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name is John Knopf. I'm a landscape photographer. I've been shooting for about the last 15 years. My job is pretty much to just go anywhere that is beautiful or that I want to go and shoot and take home pictures and put them on walls. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I can't complain, man. <laughs> it's, been a, so, it's been a fun ride. <laughs> where did it all start for you? What, Why photography and in particular, why landscape photography? So I'm not, I'm going to be completely honest. I'm not very good at art. I've never been good at drawing. I'm yeah. not good with uh, painting. And I honestly didn't have a lot of passion towards that. But when I picked up a camera for the first time, I was like five years old. And I remember oh. just... Um, really falling in love with the ability to uh, create art without actually having to use a pen or anything else. And mm-hmm. so as I got older, it was never like a passion, like I'm going to be a photographer one day. But I, I worked every single job from literally from pool cleaning, beekeeping, selling cars, everything. <laughs> and when I ended up at 25 at a car lot selling cars, I got put in the position to take photos of the cars for the website. And That set me on my journey for the love of photography. As funny as that is, I found joy in shooting cars. And then I took the camera on a trip. I was in the Central Coast up to Big Sur and Mm -hmm. fell in love with the idea of camping and taking pictures of landscapes and outdoors. And I was already uh, a really big avid landscape, like backpacker. I was camping, all this stuff. So I figured what could be better than maybe taking photos of everything I love to do I love to travel. How can I make all this work together? And that's what happened. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So, <laughs> what is it now that sort of keeps you motivated, particularly with landscape stuff? Is it that desire to get out in nature or is it the desire to capture something that's a unique image? I don't know if it's either of those. I like traveling. I love traveling to the most remote places. I like, my dream is to go to Tristan de Cunha, which is like one of their most remote islands on the planet. Yep. I, I like to set up voyages for myself and just go off on my own. I, I love taking road trips. So all these things, 
photography came second. Okay. It almost became a therapy for me. I found photography. I found like looking through a lens and focusing on the landscape was very calming. It was relaxing, yeah. waiting for a sunset. All these things incorporated made me really fall in love with the beauty of the planet and what it really has to offer. And so I, I think for me, what keeps me motivated, honestly, is just the next place, the next destination. Yeah. I'll see a place on Google Maps. I'll Luckily, now we have Instagram. 15 years ago, it was no Instagram. It was scouting Google Earth and playing guidebooks and stuff like that at Barnes yep. & Noble. Yeah, just trying to find cool places that I could visit or just seeing something on a satellite and being, well, what is this place? This looks interesting. And going out there and just checking it out. And yeah, that, yeah. that's what happened a few times where I would just end up on like an island because I saw something cool and I was like, I need to go here. And so... I think for me, like what keeps me motivated is the fact that there's still a lot of places I haven't been. There's still a lot of beautiful remote locations that I have to journey to and figure out how to get there. And I don't know, I think there's just, there's a lot to be said in just, I think the journey of trying to get the photo. And as much as I love the photography and I, I love putting photos on my wall, it really does come down to, I really love going places and seeing new things. Sure, sure, sure. So, sounds like you might be a bit of a planner as opposed to more spontaneous or am I wrong there? Actually, it's funny. Like I, I try to plan and it always ends up like I will literally make a full itinerary and I can't remember one single time that I ever have followed that itinerary. That thing goes out <laughs> the window day one, man. It just never works. I try so hard, but it's, you know how landscape photography is. Yep. Nature dictates our art. We don't dictate anything. It creates. So it's if I can't get the shot the first day, second day, third day, I'm there for a while. And the thing is, I love traveling down empty roads. It'll take me two days to get 10 miles because yeah, I right. will end up on every single barren road I can. Every Because that's where you're going to find some of the shots that just have never been seen before. That's where you're going to capture stuff that just isn't capturable. And I yeah. think that's the idea of going down these you know, lost roads and stuff like that. That's what I've always really enjoyed. I don't know. There's a lot, I think, to that. I'm sure you do the same thing. And so, some mornings I'll get in the car at 4am and not have a particular destination in mind. I'll just get in the car, start heading in a direction and where I end up and where I end up shooting is where I end up. You know, <laughs> That's the best feeling. I feel like that's the thing about our job. I, I feel like over the years I have found that I would most rather be homeless in doing this living out of like my car because yeah. I love doing it than sitting behind a desk getting a salary every single year and playing it safe and just hoping that one day I can retire like I would rather live my life as a retirement and hopefully yep. everything works out <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a fantastic attitude yeah <laughs> yeah my grandfather used to say to me you're the youngest person I've ever met who never worked to retire so early uh, so you mentioned uh, that it was fairly early on that you were seeing what you were doing with photography as art. Was it always art or was it just a lot of people start recording stuff they see and it might be a cool flower or a cool shadow or it, it could be anything, but it's it, there's not a lot of artistic thought necessarily put into the initial sort of stage of everyone's photography where they're thinking more about the composition and the color and the tones and so forth. When did that sort of start to click for you? 
Yeah, I think like when we're learning our camera, we're all learning all the technicals, figuring out how to balance light, filtration, all these things. And it's as we prolong, it does become an art. But I remember like thinking early on, I wanted to call myself a fine art photographer, but also cringed at the idea of calling myself a fine art photographer because I wasn't like, I didn't understand art. I'm a kid from Marana, Arizona that grew up basically in a trailer park. Like I didn't understand art. So there, it was hard for me to call myself a fine art photographer, but at the same time, what I was shooting was fine art. So as I developed over time, my ambition and like my passion for what I was doing, it, it definitely became like of a more of an artistic journey. I, I think early on, whether I realized it or not, the stuff I look back on in my first couple of years of photography, it was artistic. It was creating, I was living in Tucson, Arizona when I uh, really started developing my landscape. So yep. you're working with cactus, sand and sunset. So to mm -hmm. create something out of that and the magic that you, if you were able to create photography out of the magic of a desert landscape, you have a really good opportunity, I think, ahead of you of being a good photographer, because that I think is where I got my ground and my foundation of just learning um, my camera learning and and getting really in depth with the artist ability to to do things with cameras because it's like we all can anyone can go outside and snap a photo anyone can yeah. get a good sunset but how can you do something different with your camera how can you, you know, it doesn't always have to be comes down to photoshop which i really never understood i was more of a in-camera ansel adams type filtration neutral density filters yep anything that I could play with to make magic from the camera without yeah. just a click and point and just like developing something in Photoshop. I really wanted to make an image. So I would, all my like, images would be like long exposures and playing with lights and things like that. And yeah, when I look back on my artistic journey, there's no question that there was a lot of art planning in it. I just didn't think I really understood what being an artist meant. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. I'm sure you see it a lot where they call us photographers, not artists. There's very common where it's like, oh, you're a photographer. There's artists and then there's photographers. Yeah. And it's, we're artists. Uh, artists have got paint stained fingers and we've got that, that little pressure point on the... <laughs> <laughs> the camera does all the work, right? That's right. You know, all you do is turn up and push a button. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's not, nothing more to it. No. <laughs> that... That role that personal expression plays in your photography, part of that obviously then tends to play into how you infuse your own style and visage and vision, sorry, into your images. How has your style developed and where do you see your style going? That's interesting. I like when I first got into photography, I was following Ansel Adams' work. I really loved the black and white, the way he created what his work was through just his strenuous hikes and just carrying heavy equipment and yep. going in the dark room and just like a savage and just going to town with these prints and just what he did was just incredible. And so how I saw like my artistic style was like, I wanted to create color of like Ansel Adams work. I wanted to go through the American landscapes and Yosemite and hike these mountains and be a mountain man and like camp and do all this cool shit. And yep. I wanted to recreate it in color and do these things. So like now as I like go through my styles and just like how I developed and my my style is very hyper-realistic. It's overly saturated images. I try yeah. to create images that are, that I want to see on my wall, that I want to, that I see when I go out and take a photo, this is what, how I see the world and how I 
want to like how I want everyone to see how I see it. I get a lot of comments on work oversaturated or <laughs> over clarified. And it's, yes, but this is my style. This is how these, I create art to put on my walls. That is literally the reason I started creating art. I couldn't afford other people's landscapes. I couldn't afford Ansel Adams, but I yep. could afford to buy a camera and put it on my wall. And it, my house is surrounded with my own art because I really enjoyed this is this is my memories, this is what I've created. I never expected to make money off of it. So my style has always been just following my journey, which is landscapes and just literally hyper realistic. And as I've gone on, I really have tried to explore like more black and white and the old school Ansel Adam boys. And I'm getting into a lot of the old methods of shooting because as much as I love what Photoshop and AI can do, which I think it's incredible. I've, I've messed with the AI stuff. I've messed with, I love it. But I really love what you can do in camera that I think will stand out, I think for a long time, because it's like a, a Mason, like an old school kind of way to just do photography. And yeah, I think that there's yeah. still something to it that's a lot of fun for me. Totally, totally. You mentioned the process of experimentation and that comes with taking the risk that some of that experimentation is going to fail and you're going to have setbacks. You're going to mess something up somewhere along the line. How do you respond to that in your photography when you've, you've gone out, you've tried a few things and you come back and looked at them and just gone, eh, that's just not working for me. God, I don't know. I think like it's a long process, right? Like I look at my earlier work, like my, as much as there was art to it, a lot of it sucked. It was really bad. And I can look back on it and look, okay, I've developed, I've created like my eye can actually create a landscape. But I I think, I I don't know, it's hard because it's like, what do you do when you suck? You practice, practice, right? How do you get to Carnegie Hall? You keep practicing. That's right. So yeah, yeah, like any time that I would come, I, I remember like, early days when I was shooting like with a Linhoff and film and things like that and taking my first trip to Maui and funding my very first trip. I had just quit my job. I had very little savings, but I had enough and I was going to live on the beach, live off of fruits or whatever, just find stuff. Like I was going to survive, but I shot this whole thing in film and then come back and just it's trash. Like these shots that I got, it, it was this cave that I had found. It, it was like this lava tube and it hadn't been shot there. I couldn't find any pictures of it anywhere. I was like, nope, this nope. is my image. This is my Mona Lisa, right? This nope. is going to be the image that I have forever. And I shot this 13 years ago. And so I remember going back and going, all right, obviously film is not going to be the answer for me because I have spent a fortune on film and all this. So I got a digital camera, went back, bought lighting, all this stuff. So I could light up the inside of the cave and do this image, right? Like when you go back to the drawing board and you look at what you've done wrong, you have to go, am I really willing to fund this next operation to go back out there and do this again? Yeah. And I think yeah. that's the fortitude, right? That's the perseverance that I think gets us our shot that makes it so worthwhile. And I have that image up on foundation, I think, for 650 ETH that I just put it up for a couple of days ago, right? (laughs) I won't sell it for anything less. I I can't. It's not who I am. It's not like what I've done. It's literally the fact that image, dude, like what I did for that, the shit that I went through and living on the beach and starving and just everything to journey up to the point where I'm still fucking taking photos. Of course, I'm going to price that. (laughs) I have no choice. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. So in terms of some some photographers talk about the way that they try to tell stories in their images, is storytelling a big part? You, you mentioned that you want to show people 
how you feel in, in the time and space that you were in when you were taking the shot and what the world looks like to you. Is that your form of storytelling? Yeah. So I, I know like when I, you know, originally got into photography, my idea was to bring awareness to the planet. The planet was getting just trashed. I, I knew this as a kid. Yep. I wanted to bring awareness to how beautiful our planet could be and hopefully inspire someone to pick up some trash, take care of the planet, save a river, do something and inspire a kid to take photos, anything that contributes to uh, our, that cause. And as I've grown through my artistic journey here, I think it has developed more into, I don't know how to put it, but just obviously the passion for the outdoors, the passion to protect the planet. But for my storytelling, it's just become more of like my journey. It's hard to explain, but I think because I've been doing this for so long, if you read, if you go to Super Rare and you start reading my latest works and my stories behind those, it's become more about the journey of how I've gotten here as opposed to necessarily the journey behind that picture. It's more of everything that encompasses it. Like it's how that picture gave me these emotions that made me want to use this because as a photographer, we take thousands and thousands of images. What gives us that one image that we put up there that we want, not necessarily for sale, but just for everyone to see what gives us. And it's that image that gave me that emotion. It's this one image from Minnesota where I had just opened my gallery, my second one, I had investors who had put money in it and I'm trapped in this gallery. I, I can't leave it. I'm trying to get employees. Nobody wants to work there because it's hard to find employees that want to work in calories in Minnesota. It was just a one thing after another, man. And I'm stuck there for two years and phase one reached out to me and they go, Hey, we want to send you a camera to test out our equipment. And I'm stuck in this gallery. I am like trying to sneak out at 5 PM to closing the gallery early just to get these photos. And it's like that photo that I got is during that time of trying to sneak out of this gallery. And it's the story behind the photo is it's a pier with a sunset. It's hard to tell a story. It's it, to yeah. me, it's beautiful. That's what made it the story. But now, now with everything behind it and what came to it, it's not just a pier with a beautiful pink sunset with way it's on a flat lake. It's not just that it's everything that got me to that point and made me take that photo. That's the story behind it. It's not just like when I remember looking at my early work and people be like, what's the story about it? I'd be on a stage talking about it. It's a pier. It was cold out and the ocean had waves. I don't know, man, it looks beautiful. And so I took the photo. (laughs) I couldn't tell you what, does it have to have a story? But as I've developed and gotten older, it's no, there's, it wasn't just a pure, the shit that I went through to get that photo and the idea behind it. It's, no, dude, you went out in January in the middle of winter when it was 40 degrees out, when you was freezing. So no surfers would be in the shot. So no other landscape photographers would be in your way. On top of that, like all the things in the journey to get to that photo, it, it's not just the image. So yeah, the storytelling for me has developed over the years yeah. as my journey of photographer and i'm sure how long have you been shooting oh if you include when i got my first instamatic when i was 10 probably about 40 odd years 48 years. Yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> i'd love to know what's storytelling to you as a photographer uh, again it is very much about that whole journey for me as well sometimes as i said earlier i'll jump in the car and it'll just be i'm just going out to take a photo and right <laughs> but then when you think about it now i'm doing this sort of full time and it's not a it's not really an option not to as far as i'm concerned (laughs) i won't go out every day but every opportunity that i think okay conditions look like they're going to be good i'm gonna i'm gonna get out there and 
try and take myself a nice shot. And even when conditions aren't good, if I'm in an interesting spot, I'll still give it a go. There How was do a... you find a balance? Oh, yeah. Because that's... that pressure of getting that sunset every single day, how do you find your balance? Yeah, I, I've i stopped worrying about it. <laughs> and I think a big part of it is that ability to just let go and say, okay, I know that I've missed a hell of a lot of beautiful sunrises or beautiful sunsets. But that doesn't matter. There's always going to be another one. And it's really just take the opportunities that you've got. And it, whether it's other pulls on your time, like family or anything like that, it's really about prioritization. What comes first for you? And for me, that's really what it's all about. I love that. Yeah. I feel I remember early on as a photographer that feeling that pressure of having to take that photo, like, not eating, sitting out there for sunsets, pressuring yourself and almost feeling like depressed and feeling like shit because you didn't go out that day um, yep. because you and you saw that sunset and saw those colors. It was like, I could have been shooting this, but instead I just like, and you have to like, it's hard to find that balance of not beating yourself up over it. And it's, totally. you almost develop like a love-hate relationship with your camera because of it. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it's, as much as our life is a vacation, we don't ever take vacations. We don't ever sit uh, in, in, in Hawaii on the beach and go, God, this is nice. We're out shooting every second we can. <laughs> <laughs> I, that, I can't remember the last time I sat on a beach and enjoyed it. <laughs> well, that, that said, I've tried to do that. I, we just got back from a trip to Fiji recently. And, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, it, stunningly beautiful. I, we were there for a little over a week or just on a week, I think. And I actually only shot three times and shot the rest of the time i was forcing myself to lie by the pool order that pina colada wait (laughs) dude good for you man that's a seasoned photographer that takes 40 years to get there though (laughs) but yeah so i i saw and missed shooting a a couple of fantastic sunsets there we were on, on on the western side of the island as well so we're on this beautiful bay with a nice stretch of beach lovely sandbars and everything and that beautiful turquoise tropical water that you're used to seeing in the 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 ads for fiji but it was so good yeah it it was tempting to run back to the room and grab the camera but it was like yeah i'm not gonna do it (laughs) i love that you ever seen uh, that movie secret life of walter mitty yeah yeah sean penn that scene where snow leopard and yeah. taking the photo and he just decides not to take it i yeah. think like you like we can relate i think like it's took me taken me a long time to understand that moment but as yeah. i've gotten you know, to this point now that moment was for me and i feel like as seasoned photographers there are these moments that are just for ourselves that we don't want to capture that we just take in with our eyes and go fuck we're here that's right yeah i'm, <laughs> I'm just enjoying the feeling of being here not worrying about what what I'm doing with a camera or whether I've got one in my hand or not. It's funny. I feel like there's really very few people on the planet that will ever understand that feeling of not taking that photo as a photographer who does it as a profession and just enjoying the moment where I I feel as a photographer, we do enjoy Like we have to take the time to enjoy those sunsets and it, it has made me really slow down and take in those rivers or those oceans and really enjoy those moments where people will just walk to the Grand Canyon, look at it and go, oh, 
where I'm sitting there for three hours waiting for that sunset and I have no choice but to enjoy it. And yep. I feel like as photographers, when we don't take that moment and we just actually enjoy it, there's just something to that, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's <laughs> something beautiful to that. <laughs> what, is, what does success look like for your photography? And it doesn't have to be monetary, but it could be. You know. No, that's a great question. I've asked a lot that, and I think everyone's definition is so different. But for me, it's I redundantly say this on you know so many stages. I feel like anyone's listening to this is going to go. I've heard this before, but define success is doing what you love. As every single time, no matter how many times you fail, you continue to do it because you mm -hmm. love that. It doesn't matter how much money you make, how many followers you have, how many sales you get. I think how much validation you get when you put that print up or share it on social media. I think really what it comes down to is success is defined and we continue to do what we love no matter what stops us. We just keep getting up. And a lot of people would define that as insanity. Yeah. I personally define it as success. It's continuing. Yeah, I continue. I failed so many times with photography. I've had galleries fail. I've lost cameras, sold cameras to pay rent, been cameraless for years. Like I've done it all. And all I can say is I still keep doing it. So I can't imagine what is a better success story than that, in my opinion. Even if I made nothing off of my art, I think at the end of the day, I'd be disappointed, but I'd still feel successful because I continue to do it. Like how many people I feel like sit at their desk and take the way the, not the easy way, but take the less risky way. And they sit yeah. behind their desk for the rest of their life and they look at us and they go, God, I wish I could do that. Where People like us said, fuck it. I'm going to take the hard road. I'm going to, maybe not the hard road, but just the risky road, the sea of sailing, the sea of consequences as Sammy Hagar puts it and just, yeah. and just going for it. And I think that there's something to that, that if I died behind a desk at 60 with a million dollars, or I died behind my camera with nothing, I'd be pretty happy dying behind that camera with nothing. And I consider that a pretty good success. Yeah, that's cool. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long answer it's a, it's a great answer though yeah. <laughs> what about that choice to you said you had lots of jobs before what was it that was it easy to make that choice to say okay i'm gonna kick out of this full-time working gig and get out and live that life that you were just talking about I think it was an easy decision to make, but it wasn't an easy decision to transact, to make action. Mm -hmm. To Nobody supported it. My parents said, you're going to end up homeless. They literally left, let me go homeless. Not that they had any responsibility to help me, but they no, gave no. zero fucks. I, my friends were like, good luck, bro. There's nobody just decides to become a photographer at 25. And I was like, I, I am like, fuck it. And I, I think, yeah, it, it was, it, it's scary, but there's something about starting from nothing and building that foundation that's just it's it's liberating it's freedom mm, it's mm. there's nothing stopping you when you have a, nothing to your name and nothing holding you back you can't fail how can you fail at something that you're not trying to succeed at yeah because all right. i want to do is be a photographer is being a photographer is, is the success within itself then i can't really fail at it so therefore there wasn't much holding me back it was just the idea that like i had done all these jobs and been fired pretty much from every single one of them. I, I am terrible at customer service and I should never be dealing with customers <laughs> ever. And so I had to find something that I would enjoy 
that I would never have to deal with a customer ever again. And that would be landscape photography where there's no models, there's no people. I literally yeah. go off into the woods by myself with my dog for two weeks, disappear with my camera and hopefully come back alive. That shit's fun for me. Mm. And I felt like if I can make a living, just survive off of this, I'm happy with that. And I couldn't even survive off of it, but shit, I kept doing it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> kept no. doing it just kept and i think that's i think honestly if you want to talk about like success in a monetary definition then that's the key to it is just perseverance if you ever want to make money off of your art it success will come that way by just not giving up and maybe it may never come i could be wrong but that's what it seems yeah and for, for many people going, yeah i i it may never I, I think the honest truth is for many people it doesn't come <laughs> and if they do give it a go the thing i think a lot of people do though is that they go into it without a business mindset they go into it with that mindset okay it's a lifestyle choice and it is but you need to be thinking about how you're going to structure it as a business otherwise it's just not going to work i'm interested yeah. in how you do that balancing act that everyone that goes into this on their own you're the chief marketing officer you're the chief financial officer website designer other, that's a, you're all these other things that are not about actually doing photography but are all about the business of photography how do you balance that i think because i love the art of business i love and i'm not very good at it that's what's the best part i think of all of it is that i i realize that and because i realize that i don't push myself to sell art i realized probably maybe five years ago i'm not good at selling my art and I'm not good at marketing myself. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. So I have to figure out a different angle. And that's when I learned about crypto and learned about trading and figured out sure. ways to make money without having to sell art. And that's when I grounded myself for a couple of years and said, no more taking photos, gonna make a bunch of money, then get back to photography. So it was like, take a break here for a minute, but not like job break, figure out how yep. to make real money real quick and survive. So. That's the idea was just like the balance of trying to do it both in business. It was like having a gallery, doing all that. I couldn't find a balance. It was, that's why it was so unsuccessful. It was just, I, I sold art. There was no problem with that. It was just, I, I don't want to manage a business. I don't want to be an accountant. I don't want to deal with numbers. And I don't want to have to hire people to deal with numbers or have to trust someone because I've read all that. I've seen it all. And it's, I don't yeah. want to trust anyone else who's handled my situation. I trust myself. I know what I, I feel like I know what I'm doing. So that being said, it has been like a long battle of balance over the years. But over the last couple of years, since I discovered crypto and the idea of self-sovereignty and NFTs and how we could digitalize and monetize and create like a democratization for our art, I mm -hmm. felt like this was definitely the way I could find balance. But I'm not going to lie, over the last decade, there hasn't been much balance. It's been all over the place. I've been trying to figure out how to do what I love survive i've got a daughter i've got a wife i've got bills things started happening yep. life started fucking happening couldn't just live out of my car <laughs> it, with my it has a way of doing that <laughs> it really does so it was like i had to figure things out but not the conservative traditional way of let's go get a job and figure out and, and there, that crossed my mind dude I, I i thought about going back and working at you know the melting pot at a restaurant or, or going back and like maybe going to college and trying to maybe do something else and i it's funny how full circle in the universe works. While I was trading crypto, I discovered NFTs. And yeah. then I discovered that no one was really minting photography on the blockchain, especially landscape photography. And I was like, and everyone was saying it wasn't possible. 
So I was like, this is, this is another opportunity, I feel like, to change things up. And that was the universe spinning me back into my photography, which is so weird because I, I became a trader and I was like, I'm really good at this. I'm making a lot of money and I don't have to stress about, maybe I should just take a break from photography for longer. And then NFTs pop up one night on Clubhouse and I'm like, what are photography NFTs? <laughs> and this was in 2020. Yep, yep. And everything changed. Yeah. So that journey, I guess, I'm I'm interested in exploring a little bit. How have you seen, you know, the you've gone through the that boom time and you know the that long bear market that we've had now for some time in the the I mean for me, I my personal experience is I've taken very much a wait and see approach. I got into it in 2021 and tried a few things, started up a couple of on-site galleries and, and whatever and collaborated with a bunch of people, made some absolutely wonderful relationships and so forth. I'm interested in your journey and how that's panned out for you. When you said the bear market, I feel like for me, at least, art has always been a bear market for me. It's always been an up and down roller coaster. I have to hibernate during the successful times and stock away as much money as I can and know that when the good times are here, the bad times are going to be 10 times harder and they're going to last way longer. And I've had bear markets for up to three years where I haven't made sales. And mm. that's just part of it. And that's stocking away money. And then at the end of those three years, selling some of your equipment to survive. And that's part of life. So when it came to NFTs, I stocked away. I hibernated. As soon as the bull market hit, I like a fucking squirrel, man, just as much as I could, just putting things away because I knew the bear market was coming. There's no question with the cycles, just looking at history and patterns. And I had a feeling it was going to come around December of 2021. With everything happening and all the rage and everything, I had a feeling that when ETH hit 4K, it was time to sell. And I texted a bunch of my trader friends and they all said it was going to 8K. And I don't know if you ever heard the Warren Buffett quote of, you know, be greedy, you know, when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. That seemed like a moment where I should be fearful. All the uh, celebrities were buying our bags. Retailers were in. We had taken apes from $200 to millions of dollars. Uh, Justin Bieber, Jimmy Kimmel, everybody's has these apes. And it's, remember the early trading days learning when the celebrities and retailers start buying the bags, that's usually the last end of the cycle when everything crashes. So I decided to sell everything in December. Everything I owned, I had stacked up a lot of ETH and the apes and everything else and just cashed everything out to prepare for, it could take 10 years before the cycle comes back. I have no idea. So just buy dips and things like that and just prepare for the, the cycle to come back. So yeah, bear markets, it's a navigation kind of thing, but it's like yeah. following the cycles and learning that and understanding that you need to be prepared for these things. And even as an artist, it is a roller coaster until you make it to the very top until you make it to peter lick status and you've sold half a billion dollars worth of art it's a goddamn roller coaster it's just going to go up and down you're going to make sales you're not going to make sales so just be prepared for that and i think that has taught me a lot over the years and i try to teach that to every young artist in the space that was just a lot of the artists in the nft space that are photographers they've been doing it five ten years at the very most and yeah. so they don't really understand the ins and outs of, they don't even, it was really astonishing that blew my mind is that when I started working with Nat Geo and all these other photographers, I found out nobody sells prints. I, I didn't know that. I, yep. I guess everyone works with magazines and galleries and things like that, but nobody sells prints. And 
I was like, I've made my living off of prints for the last 50. I didn't know you don't sell prints. I was, that's how you make money. How else do you make money as a photographer? Like <laughs> you, you have to beg magazines. Like I, they would never accept my work. I'm oversaturated, over commercialized. <laughs> so it was like, I, I didn't know that nobody sold prints. So I knew that I had a unique, I don't know the word, it's not expertise, but I had a unique experience from selling oh. prints over the years. Yeah, so I knew the up and downs of the market. So when it came to NFTs and everyone digitalizing their work and selling digital prints, I'm like, guys, I've been doing this for a long time and I can tell you honestly like how this will work and how it will play out and we can do this. We yeah. can make money, but we have to strategically do it correctly. We can't just pretend it's going to last the next decade and yeah, we're just going to be a bull ride. The never lasts. The, yeah, right, the no gravity. Bubble always <laughs> pops. No, no gravity. The NFTs will never have a bear market. I used to hear this shit all the time. And I'm like, guys, it, it, everything, like, I hope we're all right that it never crashes, but let's be realistic and just cash out some. Yeah. The, the realism I see at the moment, and this is, you know, a bit of, bit of personal research and it's all public information that's out there, but the way governments, not just the US, but other governments around the world have gone up against crypto mainly focusing on bitcoin i'll i'll, I'll say that up front but yeah. other other crypto they don't like it they don't want it around and if need be they will legislate against it and i see that as being probably the biggest challenge for the nft markets and them going mainstream is the government campaigns that are going on to actually destroy the crypto currency markets is really where the challenge sits where do you yeah. see that sort of thing playing out yeah like i think a lot of people thought that there was just no question mass adoption was going to occur but it, it, it's not just going to occur we have to actually strategically um plan this out and i feel like because of all the scams that have happened sbf loot all the yeah, all the failed projects <laughs> just everything yeah the projects and 99 of the projects in the nft space just obviously just raising a bunch of money and having zero fucking clue of what to do with it all these things happening made us look like a joke and because of that it might have set us back i don't really know i think that a lot of people look at crypto as and they don't really understand that it's all about self-sovereignty and we all look at it and we go, we want to be self-sovereign. What we don't realize is that the other 99% of the world doesn't give a shit about being self-sovereign. They don't care. They want to take their paychecks home. They want to pay to social security. Exactly. They want to pay their taxes. Have zero clue where it goes to, as I was one of them, had zero clue where my paycheck would go to. And I take it home and I give it to the bank and I'm happy going home and smoking my weed and just being another person. Yep. We don't understand the real implications of what that does to society. And I think that until the world really wants to be self-sovereign, I don't know if mass adoption will occur. I, I could be wrong, but I think with all the legislation and action and everything and just, you talk to the average person and they go, NFTs still exist or they go crypto, does that work out for you? Because the, the key thing the for me is the organizations like Canon and even Meta investing millions of dollars in platforms which have never materialized and never materialized that they're sitting there going yeah we're gonna we're gonna struggle to make money out of it and if they're gonna struggle to make money out of it then everyone else is 
and how many companies are willing to put the risk on the line to violate security laws just to take that next step towards Web3. With the internet was different. Yeah. Like jumping on e-commerce and making a website is a lot different than violating multiple national security laws. Exactly. Exactly. So I, I do think, don't get me wrong, 100% bullish on crypto, continue to stack a lot of different tokens, still believe in the ultimate inevitability, which crypto I think will obviously be, I think, our, our currency. But I think it's going to take a while because this may have set us back a little bit further than we expected. Mm-hmm. Or may excelled it. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it excelled it. Maybe it made everybody aware of crypto. And now in the next bull run, they're going to want to get in on it. Maybe. Maybe. I don't have a crystal ball. I, I wish I did. <laughs> I wish I did because you and I'd be billionaires, buddy. <laughs> Absolutely. Have you got a favorite spot that you like to shoot that just keeps calling you back? And Maui. why is it calling you back? Maui, Hawaii is like my just uh, as much as like I have shot so many photos of this island. I just want to keep going back because it's just incredible. It's just you don't have to worry about natural predators or any tigers. There's no real, you know, venomous spiders out there. There's no scorpions. It's the most chill vibes of shooting ever. There's no yep. real big risks. It's just enjoying taking photos, going out there. And it's just so incredibly lush and beautiful. And yeah, it's a six hour ride from Vegas. So it's, there's nothing like Maui to me. I've been to a lot of beautiful islands, but something about Maui just, I, I would move there in a heartbeat. <laughs> I can't blame you. It's uh, it is a beautiful place. Yeah. It really is, man. That's just uh, the the vibes of Maui, man. You just you get off that airplane and it's just it just takes over. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I one of the things I really love though is and it's not not just Maui, but a lot of places like Fiji. You work on Fiji time, island time is no worry, yep. no hurry. <laughs> oh, totally. There's nobody honks their horns and <laughs> nah, everyone's it. just chill. I, I've never been to Fiji, but I, I definitely want to make my way there. Yeah, you'd love it. <laughs> yeah, I was I was in Dubai uh, a couple months ago and I was going to make my way over to the islands near there. I forgot the name of them. It's like slipping my mind right now. So I don't remember, but yeah, there's islands about an hour away from now. It's, it's just like, oh. there's just, you know, like the Philippines, there's just so many beautiful islands uh, around the world that I, I really need to get to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, is one most, of what is your most memorable experience while out shooting? My most memorable experience when out shooting. God, the most memorable experience. I would say like getting shot at in Grenada was pretty wild. By cocaine pirates. Yeah, Yeah, that was pretty fun. Um, uh, I would say there's been some interesting, memorable experience, but I would say, honestly, what has brought me the most joy and like the best memories is recently is just taking my family out, like taking my daughter, taking my wife out and enjoying that with them. I I feel like that has become like the most memorable and joyful moments for me because it's, I've been doing this for a long time. They came into my life maybe nine years ago and um, because of, uh, I don't know, I feel like because of my journey with photography, it's really joyful to just be able to take them with me now and do these journeys together. There's something really memorable. It's like, Cordy, does that sound? That's where I'm no, at, at 40 years old now. <laughs> that, that's totally understandable. Totally understandable, John. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's something about getting older and sharing it like with other people that you really love. There's just something about this that yeah, it just brings me a lot of joy now. 
So now I want to hear about the horror story getting shot at. How did that come about? Come on. Grenada is a wild place, dude. Grenada is an interesting island. So I went to so I went to Trinidad and Grenada when I was 26, 27. When I really started my photography, I was like, I got to get the world. I got to get the portfolio. I got to travel everywhere. So fuck, I don't, why was Grenada? Oh, I, I had a friend who had a wife living there who was doing veterinary school out there. And he said, yep. you got to check out Grenada. And I was like, I've always wanted to check out Trinidad. And I, I figured this would be a great time to go out there because he was living out there. I could stay at his crib. I go to Grenada and I rent a car. This is so stupid. I'm like 26, 27 years renting cars in Grenada. This is now looking back on how dangerous this was mm. and just how dumb it was. And so we rent a car and I find this place on Google Maps, this pier, and I'm like, I need to go out here and shoot this pier. And he's like, bro, we're not going out there. He's like, it's totally unsafe. We have to go through these really dangerous areas. And he's like, Grenada isn't just like a tourist vibe, bro. It's really sketchy when you go up north. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but there's this pier and I need to go take this photo. You want to come <laughs> with me? He's like, okay, let's do it. And so we go in my car, we go up there and dude, I'm going through these neighborhoods and it's so sketchy. I should not be a white kid in these neighborhoods. I am literally one of the only white people and white person on this island. Like when it comes to these neighborhoods, they literally named me like white boy. Like they knew who I was. Yep. After about a week, everyone knew who I was. Like it, it, that's how crazy like it, it was in these areas. But for some reason, they didn't fuck with me. I, I got very, I don't know why. They were so nice to me. And normally they said, we're not chill with tourists, but you want to chill? Like you, and so they were so nice to us. The lady invited us in to have soup at her house. And we took you know pictures of her backyard. Everyone was chill. But we get up north and it just gets sketchier and sketchier. And we get on this beach and there's nobody there. And I'm like, cool. And I park our car and this dude with machete comes up to us and he's telling us we need to give him money. And he's like trying to, and I couldn't understand his accent. They're, they have really thick accents. So they, they do yep. speak, a lot of them speak English, but it's just such a thick accent that I just couldn't, I couldn't do it, man. And he's going, and he's going, and I think he was saying they touch your car. He's like, touch it. They touch your car. And he's just pay me. And so we gave him some money. We're just like, and my friend's like, just fucking pay him, dude. So I gave him some money and was like, bro. And so he stood by the car with his machete. And I'm like, we're going to die. Like we're 100% going to die with that rusty ass machete. And this sucks, dude. But we go to the beach and I find my pier and I'm setting up a shot and I hear gunshots in the air. And I'm like, what's next? Like I'm setting up my, I had my, my leaf filter set up already. So I already got them. I can't just clean all this up. Like it's all set up. So I hear gunshots and we like, I'm like, what's going on? And we see out in the distance, these ships, like these boats, like rubber, like the, like you see in the fucking movies, man, the rubber boats, like the pirates are like Somalian pirates are on and find out later on that this is a beach with cocaine buried that pirates bury cocaine on this beach and move it (laughs) and we had no clue because we're 90 miles north of venezuela dude we're we're right near colombia we had no fucking clue that this is where they're burying coke so we run off into the jungle we're hiding for hours mosquitoes the whole world (laughs) it's just sucks man we're out there for five six hours i don't even know how long it could have been 12 like we lost track man it got dark figured they were gone Went back, got my stuff, got the camera, did not get the shot. (laughs) And we went back to my car. And that was definitely like one of the most memorable experiences ever. Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, it sucked, dude. I'm I'm glad you you survived. (laughs) 
Yeah, it was wild, man. Grenada is such a beautiful country, and it's just so incredible if you stay in this touristy area. But if you try to go off on your own without a tour guide and just think that you're just like hot shit and nobody's going to mess yeah. with you, bro, you got another thing coming. I cannot believe it. I look back on this. I traveled around Trinidad by myself, and I'm just thinking, how did I not get kidnapped with this giant camera and my 90 pound white? <laughs> Jesus Christ, I was lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so lucky back then. I, I look now and I like I just went to Maui six months ago and I looked at this hike that I did where I had to like go like rappel down this chain to get this waterfall and do all this and I was like, I'm not doing that. You're not getting me down there. I'm not reshooting that. I'll take my drone into there, but I'm not redoing that. I like right. looked and I was like, I did that. I don't even remember this. That's how stupid I was back then. I didn't even think it was a hard hike. I'm rappelling down this rusty chain clueless to what you think back on the hikes you did and that's what I, I think back on the work i did early on and i'm sure you do too and it just gets it's so much more valuable to me because it's, some of these things aren't there anymore no way i'm doing these hikes anymore yep. it's, it's just like we thought we were invincible we thought we were bulletproof as teenagers yeah yeah, yeah. we do anything <laughs> for the shot it's funny how things change <laughs> what what's photography taught you about the world how just incredibly beautiful it is i never really realized i grew up in a lot of chaos with my parents and just family and life. And I never really understood how beautiful the planet really was. I was a really shitty kid and a really terrible teenager. And mm -hmm. I should have pretty much ended up in prison. But somehow, by some miracle, I decided to move and change my life. And because of that, I discovered photography. And it's made me just realize just everything has changed because of that. And Photography has made me a better person. Yeah. As weird as that sounds. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm interested in the a bit about the process now. Are you one to race home after a shoot, load up the photos and get into your edit? Or are you one that lets them marinate for a while before you start playing with them? Dude, I don't know if I'm getting old or what, but I remember I would literally throw them on my laptop as soon as I shot them. Uh-huh. As soon as I would jump into my, I, I don't even think I could make it. I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't do anything. I would get to the hotel and just start going through everything. I'd get to my campsite or whatever, just immediately. Now I can wait a day. Okay. I can usually wait a day or two. Yeah, it's, I can actually wait. I don't know if it's, just, I, I don't need to rush to unload that camera to look at it. Like I, I shot some pictures yesterday. I haven't unloaded it yet. I'm pretty proud of myself. Nice. I was like, you know, yeah, chilled out a little bit where it's not. I'm enjoying the process of just letting it marinate. And I think that, I don't know, what about you? I'm, I'm the same now. I, I, if I'm excited about a shot, I will load it up, take a look. But I sometimes I will edit if I've got time. It really it, it comes down to what else is going on. Can I spend the time on it? And Yeah, I get it. Other times it'll be two days. I did a flight over the Barrier Reef yesterday and... I have loaded them mainly for backup purposes only so that I don't lose anything. So I've loaded them onto the laptop. I've loaded them onto a spare hard drive as well that I've got with me, that a portable drive to back them up. But I haven't looked at any of them. So I don't know if any of them are even worth editing yet. But I'll take a look at them maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. We'll see how we go. I think that comes with age. I just feel like that comes with years of shooting. Yeah, you just relax into it and you go, okay, well, uh -huh. I don't have to do this right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see. 
where I will be in like 40 years of shooting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is uh, editing What what does editing look like for you? Are you you mentioned the saturation and so forth? Are you doing lots of layers? Talk me through a little um, bit about it without giving away all your secrets, of course. No, I'll give it all away. I could care less. Uh, I, I <laughs> will give my settings away. Yeah, I, I used to not really edit anything. I would throw it in Lightroom, lower the highlights, pump, pump up the shadows a little bit, do a little vignetting, pump up the saturation. Nothing really crazy because everything I did was in the camera. I used neutral density filters, balanced out the light, got it all correctly. So it's like really all I need to do is pump up the colors and it's already done. Yeah. Um, As I've developed in the NFT space, I didn't realize there was a lot of other landscape photographers out there because I wasn't on Instagram. I didn't ever became a part of that community. So I didn't know that there was a lot of people doing it. My picture, when I was working with landscape photographers early in my career, it was older dudes with canes and telling me that digital was the dark side and <laughs> wooden tripods. <laughs> yeah. It was just, this was the old school method. So I didn't know there was young mm -hmm. photographers out there. So when I found the NFT space and found out how good these guys were, add up my game a little bit and learn a little bit about editing. And I saw some work out there that I was just like, I want to do that. I want to yeah. develop my, these guys are good. So you'll see some of my work that I've minted like for time and stuff like that, that that was like my first time with time magazine. My first edit was that picture uh, I did with this peer that I had recent, like I had released first that was like no edits just, and then I was like, let me go back and, try a style and try to learn to edit and like really dive into this. And I spent hours editing this thing and I came out with it and I was like, this is way better than the original. I love editing now. So yeah, over the last, again, sometimes the shot's perfect. Nightscapes, things like that can almost yep. pretty much guarantee it's going to be perfect. But I have been working on my editing a lot more to try and just make my images softer and just more, yeah, just more artistic. And so I can enjoy them more. Cool. Cool. Yeah. What about creative blocks and those moments where you're not feeling it? How do you stay inspired and engaged? Yeah, it's funny. I, I ran into those a few times and it's a photographer friend of mine named Ravi. He told me, put yourself out of your comfort zone and out of your element and you'll always discover new things. And as much as I've always known that, it took hearing that, I think, to finally get over this block. But yeah, I was the reason I just over the NFT space, I bought my dream camera, I bought a phase one, 150 megapixel beast. And it's that in the case for six, eight months before I even shot the thing. Because I had this creative block where I was just saying, you know, I had imposter syndrome. I had all these things going and it was mm. just a lot in my head. And I just couldn't, I didn't even know if I could shoot anymore. I had sold my camera uh, to open my second gallery and then bought another camera and then sold it again to get into crypto. So I was like, I don't even know if I can do this. And so it took me getting out of my comfort zone to just like pushing myself a little bit beyond my limits. And once I got back there and back into creating, now I can be comfortable again and just enjoy it. Yeah. But the, yeah, creative blocks, I feel like it is like pushing yourself into something that you don't necessarily. And I'm not saying mentally blow yourself up and put yourself in a panic attack. But yeah, I am yeah. saying if you don't like the ocean, maybe try swimming in it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's actually quite a good way of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want you to freak the fuck out on an airplane halfway to another country and go, oh, shit, what did I do to myself? But maybe try something you're afraid of. And I, I think that helps a lot. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing photography right now? Uh, 
it's interesting. I think it's always been the same thing that it is not necessarily undervalued, but it's not easily monetized. The most yep. expensive photograph I think has sold for maybe one or $2 million where you'll see people's $80 million sale, $150 million art piece sales here and there. Like it's just, it's not to the value that I think that people have recognized it for the art form it is. And I think that there's, there's some precedent to that because it's only been around for 100 years, 150 years or so. So that being said, it's, yeah, it is a new art form. And I think it's going to take time for people to understand the value of capturing moments that are literally never going to be replicated, like ever. There are yeah. places in the world that just are going to not exist anymore. And mm-hmm. drawings and paintings of that are pretty incredible. But a picture is literally the replication of what it was. Yeah, and so therefore, I think... Freezing of that moment. Yeah. Yep. And I think that at the moment, our biggest uh, hurdle is that we just can't monetize the work the way that it, it should be. And I think, again, we are undervalued in the artistic sense that you will hear a lot of people say, you're not an artist. And yes, we are. <laughs> 100% photography is an art form. And I think that's the biggest problem. I I remember, you know what, actually, it's funny, because what got me to open my first gallery and put my money into my first gallery and go broke over it was the fact that I drove up to all the galleries in Carmel and Monterey and all the prestigious places. And every single one of them turned me down, not even looking at my portfolio, just telling me photography doesn't sell for more than $500. And I'm like, I want to sell it for a couple thousand. Not going to happen, kid. Good luck. And also, we take 50% cuts. Everywhere I went, I was being told that photography can't be sold. And even in the NFT space, when I found the blockchain, photography will never make on We need to digitalize and animate and add sound. And I'm like, fuck, dude, photography is an art form. It's, it's, everyone's missing the point, man. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I would get so frustrated. So yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, for uh, photographers have been fighting an uphill battle for a very long time trying to get recognized as artists and being valued for what they produce. And it's not just a click of a camera because if it was, I promise you everyone would be doing it and they'd quit their jobs. Yeah. Everyone is a photographer. Everyone's a photographer these days, everybody, but (laughs) they can't seem to figure out how we shoot ours. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) What do you see as the future of photography? Where do you see it going? I think the blockchain is the future of photography. I really believe that NFTs, photography is digitally native. Very few people shoot film anymore. And a lot of landscape photographers were preaching the idea of protect and preserve the planet. Well, shipping prints to Dubai and using film and using all these finite resources to create our art is probably not the message that we're really trying to send out there that we want to send. And using the blockchain to distribute our art is literally the core. It's the foundation of our art. It's for landscape photography this is where we need to be this is where we need to distribute our art and this is where we need to tell our collectors to start buying it because this is going to be the future of how we can revolutionize protecting and preserving our planet and really sending that message out to the younger generation of photographers when they i hear all the time how much energy it costs to, to mint an nft it's, can you imagine sir how much nft or how much our resources it costs just to ship a print to the middle east from america because yeah. i can promise you no question about it. The blockchain will never touch how much energy that cost. Yeah, yeah. What do you like to do when you're not out shooting? Uh, anything athletic. I, I love running. I love, I'm like training for the next Ironman right now. I, I'm in the gym pretty much all day long. Like, I, I, I love video games, uh, but they're so addictive that I try to stay away from them. But yeah, spending time with the family, 
uh, just enjoying life, working out. Like I just, I try to stay as active as possible because I've found over the years that uh, if you can't get a photo because you were out of shape, it really sucks. Yeah, it's really yeah. devastating. <laughs> so I just try to stay in as good a shape as possible. So hopefully, I can thank myself when I'm sixty. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> Are there any people out there you think I should be talking to? Just give me a, a, a couple of names. God, every every photographer in the NFT space that is still minting photography, shout out to all of them, respect because it is not it is not easy right now. But if you know some of the OGs in the space that I came up with in Clubhouse that. I absolutely love and adore and respect. There's Kath Samard. Yep. She's an incredible photographer. Uh, I don't know if you've ever spoken to Drift. Great guy. He's set some amazing. And then there's some, you know, just underrated underdogs that are in this space that just really haven't really seen the light of day. Um, that, and I, I could give you a list of guys that are just I- incredible, but just off the top of my head, those are some of the OGs that I don't know if you've ever talked to Kath, but she's amazing. Yeah. I've had her on the list of, of, hit her up a couple of times but i haven't got any response from her saying yes i want to be on i'll text her and see if i can make something happen for you <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah yeah she's yeah she's awesome there's some incredible people in the space i don't know if you ever talked to there's a guy who's a advocate for everyone in the space he's like the biggest hype man for all photographers uh juicy julio okay yep juicy I'll julio see. shoots with an iphone and just kicks ass man this he he's killing it and he's he's pushing everybody's work i love photographers that come into the space and like what you're doing podcasts that are just elevating other people's work because i feel like that as much as we all want to make money and we all want to survive off of our art if we all continue to promote each other it's all going to work together and someone might not want to buy my art but they see they're on my timeline they see someone else's they go oh and and then just all it all comes around it's all a big circle and i think that's the most important thing to understand there's Juicy Julio, there's Richard, the 15-year-old kid, incredible yep. photographer, doing photography that I, I don't even understand. There's Ruben. There, there's so many good photographers in our space, man. There's Dave Krogman. I could go on and on. There's Ovec. And, <laughs> dude, there's going to be so many people that are pissed that I didn't name them. There's so many good photographers. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everyone in the NFT space right now that is still around, talk to them all. <laughs> okay. Okay. I've got- They're all amazing. I've got one more question for you. And for most of my listeners, it's the most important question I can ask. Do you like pineapple on pizza? Absolutely. Well done. Damn, I do. I love Hawaii. Why would I not put pineapple on my pizza? Exactly. <laughs> it's, exactly. If I'm going to put anything on my pizza, it's going to be pineapple, sir. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's been wonderful getting to know you a bit better, John, and learning about you and how you've developed where can people find your work you can find it i post on twitter regularly but you can always find my work on my website you can buy prints off my website janeoff.com just j-k-n-o-p-f.com mm-hmm. all my prints are available on there and if you want to look at any of my nft stuff it's you can just look on my link tree on my twitter fantastic thanks very much Matt. dude thank you for having me it's been a pleasure cheers Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show. Keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon. 